0: Hey everyone, Alyssa here with Sabrina. Hello! We are the co-founders of Calm Collective, if you didn't know that by now, and you're listening to our podcast, Calm Conversations. For our last episode of the season, we are going full circle. Sabrina interviewed me in our first episode, and now I'm going to interview her. Hey, Zeb.
1: Hello! I'm so happy to be back and here live in the same room with you.
0: Yeah, it's been a while. We've actually (laughs) been in the same country. Yeah. Anyway... Sab, you've shared your story pretty openly before in our talks and in your blog, where you wrote a long piece about how you went from wanting to leave to wanting to live. And mm-hmm. in your blog post, which we'll link in the show notes below, you talk about three phases of recovery. So survive, live, and thrive. And mm-hmm. you said you're going to write about two, phase two and three, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still waiting for the next article.
1: I feel so called out. So,
0: <laughs> so instead, I was hoping you know today we could really talk about your individual recovery journey and show people what it might actually look like for an individual. Mm -hmm. Okay, but before, I guess, before we start, for anyone who doesn't know you, doesn't know your background, could you share where your mental health journey started?
1: Sure. Um, Okay, so where do I begin, right? So... How about your first first diagnosis? Okay, first diagnosis. So, okay, before I got to the diagnosis, right, I had already had a few experiences with depression or depressive episodes starting from the time I was 11 years old. So I remember that um, episode really clearly when I first had the thought of um, yeah leaving this world, right? Fast forward to my early 20s, I was going through a few rounds of depression or what I thought was depression. And then finally, around the time I was 24, so this was seven years ago, I got diagnosed with major depression a uh, major depression by first the general practitioner the gp that i saw so he was the one who said hey um yeah this is this looks like depression so maybe you should go go get help from a therapist so um it was really really bad at that point and my therapist actually told me that hey sabrina this is quite a difficult case uh, maybe you should consider getting help from a medical professional or going to see a psychiatrist for medication, right? So I went to see a psychiatrist, and then the psychiatrist agreed that, yeah, this looks like depression, and therefore, let's give you antidepressants and also some other medication that will help you sleep better. So off I went, I got my, you know, I got on antidepressants, and those did help me feel better. Or what I now know it got me feeling really like way too too like too much better, right? Um, I was on top of the world i feel I felt so great about myself, I was super confident. I was uh, starting like ten new projects at once and not sleeping very much because yeah, you know, who needs sleep when uh, you know I'm so busy doing all these things um, and meeting all these new people. so then I realized that okay um. But actually, I didn't realize anything because I was kind of in this high now. I know manic phase, right? And then every new high I reached, I kept hitting a new low. And with each new low, it was just worse and worse. Um, up to a point where, around the time it was at the start of twenty sixteen, I hit my lowest low, and that was where I found myself at the top of the at the top of a building. I think on the 20th floor. I was there for like a long time, just sitting on the, you know, the ledge of the building, like literally with my my legs hanging off, right? And what happened then was that I actually left my phone at home. I had been thinking about suicide a lot and refusing to get out of bed in those uh, few weeks that I was experiencing that depressive episode. And on that night, I was also supposed to go DJ at Zouk. It was my first you know, debut at this very prestigious nightclub in Singapore, right? And the next morning, I was supposed to fly out to Vietnam for my first work trip in my new job, right? And all of that was just so, I was just so overwhelmed by, by the thought of, you know, the need to support, to, to perform, um, both literally in front of like hundreds of people and to. Do well at work the next day, right? So all of that was too much, and I was just, I just found myself up there um, on the building. So it wasn't like you were planning this, and it was almost spontaneous that night. Yeah, no, yeah, I didn't plan it. I, um, I mean, it's, it was on my mind. Like, okay, okay, I really like want to end this all. It's really hard. I, was just, you know, completely engulfed in thoughts of, I'm not good enough. I, this will never get better. Um, it was. I think about four or five weeks of that, you know, I was at work struggling to even type out you know a really short email to follow up with someone to get back to me, right? Because I felt like, oh my God, am I being too assertive here you know am i I, I couldn't even bring myself to to do really basic stuff at work. Um, so then that really shattered my, my self-esteem and um, yeah, I, I just couldn't find a way to for it and it came to a point where I, I just was at home every day hoping that I would not wake up like hopefully you know just by sleeping I will just end this all and suffer like miraculously I'll yeah I'll just not wake up and I, I don't have to face this anymore so that was where I was at right and um on that day um, it was a Friday Friday late afternoon I I was just like panicking because I I couldn't get myself to care about the music I was supposed to play that night um, and that kind of just drove me you know out of the door I left my phone at home I actually left um, like my pin code um, for my phone just in case anyone needed it to call like my mom or dad or whatever if something happened I I left, I left it at home um, and then I left home and just hoped that I could find the courage to jump right. Um, So that was what happened that day. Uh, Did you, just at that
0: point, like, were you thinking about your family? Were you thinking about friends? Mm -hmm. Or was this, like, you were only able to focus on the lows?
1: Yeah, um, I think at that point, I already had reached out to my family and friends. Um, Not all, not all, but I did reach out to my my mom, my dad. Um, I remember... You know, pacing back and forth um, of the office building where I was. And I would call my mom and I would tell her, Oh, I don't know how to write this email. Can you take a look at it? Um, I, I think there's something wrong here. I need to go get help, you know? And I knew from the past that. I could get help through a therapist. I could get help from a psychiatrist. Were you actually yeah. getting therapy at that point? No, because it was so expensive mm. and at that point I I think my like the manic ish state that I was in kind of drove me to rent a place that was like way beyond how much I should have spent, right? And then that actually led me into I guess somewhat financial difficulties where I it just didn't make sense for me to to afford the rent I was paying for, and also the treatment for my, you know, for my mental health, right? So I actually reached out to my mom and I said, "Hey, can you help me with um, with paying for these these things? Because um, um, yeah. I mean, it's expensive to get private help." And I think I had already been conditioned by my mom that, um, "Hey, you don't want to go help seek help from the public health um, system because." that's going to be on your records forever. You're never going to be able to work with or for the government, right? So then I was like, yeah, that's definitely not an option. And just to
0: clarify to anyone listening, and yeah. uh, we've, we've clarified this in our previous, <laughs> yes. like, uh, talks. So like, many talks, yes. What, if you do go seek help at the public hospital, it's not going to be on your, I mean, it's in your medical record, but only that doctor who's treating you is able to see that, like, the government can't see it. No, Your they're employer not see to ask see for it. it. Yeah. You know, they, they're not allowed to ask you because that's a potentially a discriminatory work practice. So don't be afraid to seek help in the yes. public health system or private health care system, whatever area you want to get to. It is private information
1: yeah very important yeah no i i thought that i was gonna say that as well like after the fact you know after what we've done um i now realize that it's not bad to go seek help from the public system and in fact there's so many subsidies available right anyway so so there i was right and um i did seek help and my mom was like oh it's expensive so why don't you go you know maybe you don't need this right it's uh you know you maybe you can figure it out figure it out on your own and um i would say i would reached out to my dad as well and he was like, uh, you know, sleeping sleeping it off always makes me feel better, so why don't you go do that? Tomorrow's a new day. So I did reach out for help, but I wasn't getting the support that I, I guess I needed right at that time. So I just felt really, really hopeless and uh, I had also reached out to my friends and they didn't really understand what I was going through. So they were like either telling me all these similar things, right? Or some of them also said like, okay, you know, I don't know what to do with you, so... Good luck, goodbye. <laughs> so, so it was very isolating, and I just felt that was that was the end of it. I I didn't know what to do anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, that was the last um, really bad depression or, or depressive episode I had. Yeah.
0: And but you're still here with us today, and I'm so happy. You know yeah. that we still uh-huh. have you. I mean, I knew you since is it twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen. So yeah. I saw you through that phase we weren't that close yet but I remember seeing you after I had Mm. heard you had a suicide attempt after your whole whole ordeal you know getting arrested getting treatment Mm. and I just remember seeing you at a really low place where your energy level was really really low Mm. um and like I see you now here across from me just how different it is like night and day night and day um and I I just want to the reason why I think your story should be told is just there are a lot of people who don't feel like there's that hope, that there's that even small, slight hope of recovery. And, oh no, I'm tearing up. <laughs> Me too. Yes, yeah, so yeah, I think it's okay. I'm just so grateful that you're able to, well, my voice sounds funny. I'm just so grateful that you're able to be here today. I just want to put that out there. For sure.
1: <laughs> and I think, you know what? And uh, this is what we, we talked about in the first episode when I interviewed you. And like between us, we've, we've lost a couple of people along the way. And so like my journey also is kind of for them, right? Because um, I guess what I'm doing with my own life is that um, I mean, the moment I realized that I couldn't take my own life, I, I had to figure out a way to continue living. Because even taking your own life, it's it takes a lot of courage, and uh, it's it's really really hard when uh, when you're up there and you you just sit there and you think about all the people that you're leaving behind and all the what ifs, you know, like the potential future that you might have lived if you you had only hold on held on or. If you were only feeling better, you know, like, and I, I, I sat there for a long time too and contemplated a lot, and that's why I, I didn't do it at that point. Um. So anyway, like, fast forward to the next diagnosis, right? Was uh. Anyway, so actually, I, I, let's let's like, I'll I'll wrap up what happened up there, what happened after that, right? So, I think, what really what happened next was that someone who was a few streets away, actually saw me up there for a long time and apparently they were doing some filming, video shoot. Oh, wow. um, yeah, just a few streets away. Did you ever find out who they are? I don't know. I, I should find out. <sighs> so if you're out there, <laughs> let me know. Um, I was at Everton Park. If you saw someone thinking of killing themselves no, and you it. called the police... Uh, you know, screw you. It was a horrible experience, but thank you very much. <laughs> oh no, I mean know that no, you seriously. saved a life. They yeah. saved the life. Yeah, they saved my life because um um so what happened after that was that the police came, mm. right? And then um and then they said, Hey girl, um were you going to kill yourself? And I was like, Yes <laughs> 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 and then they said, Oh no, you've said it, so I have to arrest you. Oh I mean, did they have to like pull you? Did oh yeah, not, of course they they got me off. Okay, first. so was, was it yeah. like a physical thing or was it like uh oh, I I come, no, I here like I obliged them. I was okay. like, oh crap, you're here. I can't go anywhere. It's either like down or you know I right, just get off this right. ledge. So I just got off, right? Okay. I was like, okay, so
0: they didn't have to like physically pull you. <laughs> no, 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 okay. no, 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 no. I mean, I, I'm. And did they send like a negotiator? Like, I don't no, know, I see the no. It was
1: quite. No, oh, my goodness. So, so there was, I think there were. Yeah, I think. The fire truck was there, and uh-huh. then the police car came. Okay. I was like, "Oh then my it's like, gosh oh my God, it's too
0: much of a spectacle. Yeah, now. I
1: was like, nah, this is yeah, I I don't want to go this way for sure." So then I said, "Okay, okay, I'll get off," and uh, and they, yeah, they they basically asked me those questions, and then the police officer was like, "Ah, okay, you've said it, so now we have to arrest you." And then they, uh, it was so sad. I was like sitting by the the curb, right downstairs. Now I, I'm just like on the first floor. And then they were cuffing me, <laughs> and then I was like, "Oh my gosh, I left my phone at home. <laughs> I'm gonna miss my gig." <laughs> I was like, "Oh no, 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 let me go back to to Zook, you know. So um. Anyway, so, so what happened was that, yeah, I, I ended up getting jailed. So, put behind bars. How long but did you stay there? I don't even know. Just one night. One night. Oh, okay. Like, I didn't have any oh, spent like, a night sense in jail. of time. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I were spent you, a were night Were you in able jail. to make a phone call? No, uh, I did. But it, because I think because it was late, everyone was. Oh, and the thing is, like, I don't remember anyone's numbers, right? Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Except my mum and my dad, and then my, and my, dad's, and my mom said my dad said my mum is in New Zealand, which and she's not using her Singapore phone number. Mm. My dad went to sleep, mm. <laughs> so um, I was kind of stuck. Mm. Right? So the next day, I guess. The next day, oh no! Uh, so then uh, after that, what happened was that. Um, they, uh, they they sent me for, like, a quick um, assessment by... I think there was a doctor there. And then they said, okay, you've got to go to IMH um, or the Institute of Mental Health to get properly assessed and get treatment there. And I was like, oh, no. So they sent me there and also still, like, handcuffed and bound to the wheelchair and everything so I don't, like, run away. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was just, like, a whole night of... Uh, a field trip through jail and the IMH. What, what happened at IMH aside from just like, you were just yeah put in isolation? Um, so I sat there for quite a while. So I was like accompanied by, I think two, poli- two police officers and they were telling me all these stories about people who committed suicide. Oh, that's not helpful. Not at all. I was like, they were like, huh, thank goodness you didn't do it. You know what a messy oh cleanup God. it would be. Oh my God. Yeah. And I was like, haha, <laughs> you know, what do so you, I do there? So you actually weren't, uh, were you seen though by a professional? I was, I was. So eventually I was seen by a professional after some time and, uh, you know, they, they just told me to like sit there in the ward for a while and I kind of just sat and hung out with people who, who, had, who had proper um, mental illness that were very visible, right? Um, So that was an interesting, I guess, interesting um time to just um you know I was just like observing um what that experience looked like and what other people's experience were like as well and and that kind of gave me the perspective that oh hang on like I'm not in that state where maybe I'm experiencing psychosis or hallucinations so maybe I can be saved huh (laughs) so um I don't know. So anyway, eventually I, I got out because um, my dad came along and uh, the psychiatrist there said that it's okay. I, we can ju- discharge you since your parent is here. And, uh, and as long as you seek professional help somehow and you commit to that, then um, it's okay. But I mean, at the same time, what happened was that I, I got a warning for, uh, I think, being a public nuisance. Uh, okay. From the, the is that is that like from in the your police. records is that like did you have to have a so technically case about I don't that? no 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 so technically I don't have a uh, record I okay. think but I got a warning <laughs> I think I don't know I don't know but I got a, I, I I have a warning <laughs> for doing that oh, yeah can't I mean believe it. I I. I now
0: yeah. there are some it's finally
1: yeah this is so so attempted suicide is finally um, decriminalized decriminalized so thank god for that that's yeah. um you know that was really big news and i'm really happy that f- that finally happened i think 2 years ago um but yeah so but that, that was kind my of experience, experience
0: yeah. like Im- imagine you've just attempted suicide and the
1: oh yeah and i also miss my gig and i miss my flight mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> How do you deal with the repercussions of... It was so the shameful. Mm.
1: Yeah, so I, I went through so much shame, right? And uh, all I wanted to do was hide, mm. you know? Um, and actually, yeah, I, I just... So my dad brought me to his place and I, I just hid there for a little bit until uh, finally I said, okay, okay, like, take me home. I'll, um, you know, figure it out from there. But it didn't help at all because... Uh, yeah, all I felt was shame and guilt and uh, I actually felt worse. Um and actually I tried again uh a few weeks later. Mm-hmm. I did. So so that actually sent me into a um an even worse version of depression. Um yeah, so it was only after this the next attempt that I started getting help. Right. So yeah. what did that help look like? Mm. So I think firstly, the, um, I think my, my recovery process really started from the point where my family started to recognize that my condition was something that needed the support um, or like recovery was, I mean like, sorry, support was required for my recovery, right? So when they recognized that and they decided to offer their support, whether it's through helping me get my treatment from both, both my therapist and psychiatrist, um, that helped me a lot because, um, you know, firstly... Uh, okay, so, so I think it was a, a, a couple of things, right? So uh, firstly, social support was one. So from my, my family, um, my mom actually flew in from New Zealand and she said, okay, Serena, I'm here for you. I'm going to see you through this recovery journey or at least like, help you kickstart it. So that helped a lot. She actually was the one who brought me to the psychiatrist and made sure that I was taking my medication. I, I was actually like really, really um, not keen on taking the medication because I was like, no, I just want to kill myself. I'm done already, you know. But um, yeah, she, she made sure that I was taking my meds and eventually after like three, four weeks, I started feeling better. Um, or at least numb, you know. I, I didn't want to kill myself, but I was just like, okay, I'm, I can exist right now. So that's why. I mean, like the the whole state of um, not wanting to live to just being okay with existing. I kind of went through that phase with my with my mom. Um, so having her, like having her just be around, um, taking care of the bills for my uh, my treatment, that was actually really really helpful because the financial stress was actually a big trigger for me. One of the triggers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: Kind of fast forward a little bit. Where are you now? <laughs> like, what phase are you because you, you're like surviving, yeah, thriving. Yeah, Yeah. where are you?
1: Yeah, no, because like, yeah, um, oh my goodness. Um, as you said, you know, I've come a long way. Uh, it's been five and nearly coming up six years, I guess, right? Um, of my recovery journey, question mark, right? Um, so I mean, fast forward to right now, I would say that I have recovered. Um, you know, I've, I've, I always had the belief, or not always, but like for a long time, I had the belief that I would never recover from bipolar disorder so yes i got diagnosed with bipolar disorder and um, i thought i would never recover because my thinking was that okay this is a condition that i have to manage for life and therefore i'm gonna be always sick right so my brain's not well i have this condition i'm just gonna be a sick person for the rest of my life and i can just make the most out of it but i um so in the podcast that we did with Perlene, uh, Dr. Perlene, she's, uh, she's actually a friend of a friend. Um, she introduced me to this concept of personal recovery. And she said that personal recovery basically looks like, um, it's basically defined by the individual, right? And based on what the indiv- individual um, feels is important, right? Um, they can define their own. They can define what recovery looks like for them. So for me, what my recovery looked like was that I, wanna be a, um, I wanted to be able to have, I guess, positive or healthy relationships with my friends, my family, um, and romantically as well. And the other thing is that I want to be able to get myself to a point where I can contribute to society or be functional in a job that enables me to grow. So this is like, you know, uh, so that was my um, concept of like being well, and I would say like about two years ago, I I've managed to to reach there already, right? Yay! So yay! <laughs> um, Can I ask? Yeah. Are you still seeking therapy? Or are you still mm-hmm. on medication? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that's a really good point. Um. So so initially I thought like, oh, I have to be free of therapy. I have to be free of medication. But Even today, I'm still on medication daily. I'm on mood stabilizers and that really keeps my life stable and great. You know, there's no like extreme highs, lows, nothing. Um, And then with regards to therapy, um, we've reduced the uh, frequency of therapy now. So I used to go at the start, right, every two weeks. And that would be like kind of my checkpoints to like, okay, let's just stay alive for the, you know, like from one week to the next or two weeks. Um, but now I see my therapist every four to six weeks, depending. So that actually means like, hey, I can have an okay life in between. And uh, and my relationship with therapy is very different now. Um, it used to be like a lifeline, but now it's, it's something that supports my well-being. You know, it's not just about trying to, you know, pull me along, drag me along um, through life, but... It's a uh, it's a form of support that I embrace and it does help me, um, yeah, recalibrate as I live life.
0: Yeah, I think you've shared one thing. I'm like super impressed by you uh, about is you have so many like hacks mm. on how to manage your mental well being. And usually, in every podcast episode, we kind of ask them how do you find calm for yourself. But I want to kind of take that a little forward to this point of the podcast and ask you, yeah, how do you manage your well-being, mental well-being on a, a regular basis? And also, how do you help your loved ones navigate your mental health ups and downs? Right.
1: Okay, so that's two questions. So, <laughs> so I, I guess for the... So, how I match my own well-being, right, or mental health is that, well, there's a lot of things that I, I, uh, I do. And I think... I still stick to the you know the kind of like the basic principles of how to manage my mental health, which I actually wrote in the article right way back um, so the first thing is always about sleep. I have to make sure that I sleep enough and regularly um so I get now eight to nine hours of sleep. I love it um, and I sleep by typically by eleven ish you know and I'm up by about seven plus. And that's great that um, sleep is an indicator of how well I'm doing. Um, If I'm not sleeping enough, it means that, okay, maybe I'm in a hypomanic state. If I'm sleeping too much, maybe a bit depressed. So uh, sleep is one. Um, The other thing would be um, just reducing or keeping stimulants that I take in um, to a minimum. So I've cut out coffee, no alcohol um, in my life now, just tea. Um, So that's been really helpful to keep my moods steady. Um, What else? Therapy is still part of it. Medication is still part of it. We've talked about that. I also do a lot of journaling. And I do that very regularly. So I have like morning check-ins with myself. I check out with myself as well, um, as far as I can. Um, And every couple of weeks, I just sit and write and kind of just brain dump, you know, everything that's been on my mind, all my feelings. And oh, and another thing has been uh, uh, meditation. So meditation has been really, really, really helpful to help me um, kind of let go of all the any stress or any anxieties that I'm carrying. And it helps me so much in being a lot more present and focused and clear and calm um, as I, you know, take on the new uh, challenges of the day. So that's it in a nutshell.
0: So how do you then help your loved ones navigate your mental health?
1: Yeah, so, uh, okay. So this is a very, uh, I think, nerdy way of doing it. But... How I help my loved ones is that I have a Trello board um, and this is a software like tool where I have all these different lists to help navigate through my mental health uh, support system. So I have one list that says what does it look like when Sabrina is depressed? And then there's another one that looks like, okay uh, that says, what does it mean when she's hypomanic? Like, what does it look like? So I actually list out all the different behaviors. And uh, recently, I actually added a new list that says, what does it look like when she's feeling good and stable? Which is, you know, that's a huge accomplishment. I was like, yes, I I finally know this. (laughs) Um, And then the other things that I add in would be... um, Information about my therapy, about medication. So I actually update every few months, um, my changes in mood as well as the changes to my medication, if any. So, for example, um, I think about a year and a half ago, I was still on like antidepro- antidepressants for a short while. I had a mild depressive episode, um, and then I would also update when okay, you know, I'm I'm done with this and I'm back to just mood stabilizers. And then the latest update is. I'm still on mood stabilizers, but my doctor said I can half my uh, my dose. I'm still afraid to do it, so I'm, that's what I'm gonna be figuring out um, coming up. Um, and another thing that I add in is also um, like uh, other things to support my my well being, right? So, think foods to avoid things to do what i enjoy um people i can people i can count on so i also like you know audit this list sometimes when um like if i have new friends who come along who i can count on i'll like just put them put their names there and you know if my mom is looking at this list and if something happens she knows who to reach out to so i pretty much have um put it all in this table right um so that if any of my loved ones ever need to come in and support me, they would know immediately what to do. Yeah, so that's that's what I do for my. I mean, that's so helpful because <laughs> I
0: mean, I've been at the point where like, I don't know how to help you. You know, how can I support you? And mm-hmm. trying to figure that out on your own when the person doesn't know themselves is very very difficult. Yeah. So for you to, I guess it's taken a lot of introspective work for you to get to that place where you know exactly what you are like on each in each stage. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned. Something about, you know, there was a time you went back into like a depressive episode. I mean, what, what is that like when you find yourself taking steps back in your recovery?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, it's very frustrating because I'm like, oh my gosh, not this again. It's again, you know, I, I really... Yeah, I, I, the thing about this whole recovery journey and mental health or life in general is that it's not a smooth, you know... There's no smooth trajectory upwards, right? It's just ups and downs and all around, right? Um, and then life is uh, it's, it's a mess that we have to f- kind of navigate through, right? Um, so I feel frustrated, but um, what I do immediately would always be to go seek professional help. So the first thing I would do is step up on therapy, check, um, check in with my th- psychiatrist as well. And uh, usually, what happens is that we would have to titrate the medication and um, introduce antidepressants to get myself through that low phase. Yeah. Do you
0: ever find yourself like at the other end of the spectrum, like higher, hi- in the manic stage?
1: Mm. So, thankfully, not so much recently. Although um, sometimes I'm like, oh, okay, this for some reason I feel like I don't need to sleep right now, right? Um, so I I think through my own journey of uh, I guess recovery, right? I've become a lot more sensitive to my moods and also my behavior. I have had to check in with myself like pretty much on a daily basis, right? Because um, I'm very okay. First of all, I'm I'm afraid that one of these episodes would happen again, whether it's like a high or a low, right? So therefore, in order to mitigate or to prevent this from happening, I have to be very aware of how I'm feeling and how I'm behaving. So the moment where something is like kind of out of sorts, I, you know, I navigate my... Yeah, I kind of recalibrate straight away. Yeah. Um, what was the question? <laughs>
0: I, I, was I like. guess, oh, you know, how yeah. do you deal when you find yourself taking a step back in... Yeah what i i would call your recovery journey yes yeah and yeah you you've answered it like kind of if you're lower or you're in the higher end of the spectrum you are equipped with the tools now to kind of recalibrate yourself back to a base level of normalcy is what i'm Mm -hmm. what i'm hearing now this is my last question for you i mean it's a it's a long one but okay okay so mental health advocacy has become your full-time job and it's a big part of who you are and I, I know you've like talked about yourself your journey your story like hundreds of times and you have to constantly reintroduce yourself your mental health condition again and again um, I read this quote on on Twitter sorry I can't remember who it, it's from and it said something like be careful not to make healing your entire identity. The ego is always searching for neat, definable labels to attach itself. So make sure you define yourself by living, experiencing, and being. And I wanted to ask you, you know, as this is now your full-time job, like mental health advocacy, talking about your mental health condition, you know, how do you see yourself outside of, how do you see Sabrina? <laughs> Who are you outside of your mental health condition? And are you
1: able to separate that identity? Mm. Mm. It's hmm. philosophical, I know. Yeah, <laughs> you're making me do like a Jolie Navin thing. <laughs> okay, so in my journey of advocacy, I, I found it really uh, interesting because uh, I've met a lot of other advocates as well and oftentimes they get p- pigeonholed into, ah, all right, this person is the one who talks about depression. This person is the one who talks about anxiety hey, can you share your story about depression or anxiety or bipolar, whatever it is, again with us because we want to feel you, right? So, I, I don't know. I, I guess I I've thankfully haven't... I haven't really um, found myself in the in this kind of situation. Rather, I... I uh, you know, I, I think... Uh, like, while I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and I've talked about mental health a lot, I really see it as just one part of who I am, right? I'm still Sabrina who, you know, who has my friends, I have my family, I have my other interests like music and DJing. I still like it even though I didn't make that gig, right? Um, and yes, mental health is important to me, but I also like, I also like, I like lots of other things, right? So, I think what's really helped me in this journey is that I constantly reset myself, whether it's through medica- meditation or in my therapy or coaching sessions, I keep resetting myself and allow myself to detach from you know whatever identity I seem to have taken on, right through this advocacy thing. Um, and I've thought a lot about this, um, about like, labels, and I think this is also something so relevant to you know, anyone who's talking about like, diversity and inclusion, right? If you're, if you're fighting for like, LGBT rights, people tend to like, get pigeonholed into that like, identity as well, or that label. And I think we all have to recognize that we're so much more than that and we're all just human beings at the end of the day. We're all just regular people. And in the, like, as I reset myself and as I let go of all the things that I do, I try to come home to myself and recognize that I'm just someone who's doing our best to make this world a better place. And that's it, right? And right now, it just so happens that I'm trying to help other people. Um, with their mental health and to live, I guess, happier or healthier lives. Um, but hey, maybe uh, next year or in five years' time, it might be something else. I might do something else, but what I do is not who I am. So that's how I come to terms with it. I like, I like what you
0: said. We are all just human beings at the end of the day. We're just doing our best. Mm-hmm. We're just being here. And whether <laughs> you have a mental health condition or not, it is not who you are. It's part of you but it's not who you are
1: no there's so much more to each and every one of us yeah
0: thanks sabrina for this chat thank you so much so happy to be here with you for everyone who has listened to our show up to this point thank you so much we'd love to hear what you liked what you'd like to hear more of Uh, so feel free to send us a message or email us hello at comcollective.beja make sure to follow us on our socials to find out what's next for this podcast but this is the end of our season one for now a big thank you also to chloris who has helped behind the scenes and in marketing this podcast to josh and leonard from snakeweed studios and their team of interns and to yac and youth collab for sponsoring this project and to all our guests who have shared their stories with us so see you soon everyone and until then stay calm